It's good to see you guys. I'm excited. Beginning of a new series. I can see that you guys are drowsy. And uh, so I'm going to have to do a lot of weird things today to make you wake up. <clears throat> At least Zeke's honest. He's like, I am drowsy. And you are going to have to do things. I'm not here to entertain you, Zeke. Anyway. <clears throat> so yeah, new series. So those of you that showed up today, awesome. Um, here's this is a little aside. Something I'm proud of our church about. And yet, as we get bigger, I've begun to see the seeds of normalcy. So most churches, if you didn't know this, I didn't know this, going to grow up in church, they get, like, people don't come in the summer. Did you know that? People don't come in the summer because the weather gets nice and then they're out partying or whatever. They, I don't know what people do. You know, I don't have fun. But people that have fun, they do things. <clears throat> so our church has always been weird and backwards. Like, we will come during the summer. We actually gain people during the summer, typically. Um, however, I've noticed a disturbing trend for our members, you know, this is, and I'll bring it up again so that, you know, to shame you guys into, into, into change. Um, what I've noticed is we have been getting 10 to 20 visitors a week, right? That's pretty amazing. Praise God. Those are your visitors. I'm glad you're here. <clears throat> you already, you, you already get a leg up on these members, these, these chumps that just aren't coming, right? <clears throat> so I guess I encourage you guys to understand, listen, nobody feels like going to church every week. This is going to shock you. I don't, <clears throat> but it's good. And, you know, part of being a spiritually mature person is understanding that which, which wins, God's truth or your emotions, right? You got to decide. And it's one of those things. I always say this, would you miss work for the same reason? Because you got to make that money, dog, right? I bet you wouldn't. A lot of people don't. So I always thought, that, thought that's interesting about Christianity. <clears throat> a little mini sermon before the sermon because we have a tendency to say it's important. Um, and I wonder if I paid you $100 to come if you'd come. I bet you would. Isn't that funny? Right? I just think that's odd sometimes. And we, I was talking to the worship team today during devotions. We sort of play this weird game where we say we believe stuff. We're kind of crazy as Christians because we say we believe it, but then the things that we don't want to do in that moment, like we sort of pretend they don't exist. Like the one that says, do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. But... I'm going to paraphrase the next part, but continue to come together because you know that the end is coming, is drawing near, and you need each other, and yet we're kind of like, eh. So, but, well, that part doesn't exist because God knows I'm tired and I'm, I want to go to the lake. Right? Um, anyway, the rest is positive. <laughs> so, welcome. I'm Todd. I think it's only the third time I've said it in the past year. The new series is... Um, who made the sarcastic comment? Mm-hmm. Z, Eli, get him out of here. Just kidding. <clears throat> so uh, I want to talk to you guys about, before we get into this, about human nature. So here's, here's something interesting. So I'm a big, I, my entire life I've been a guy that gives people nicknames. Okay, raise your hand if I've given you a nickname of some kind in here. Look around. That's actually eerie and creepy. Uh, <laughs> so... That is really kind of embarrassing. The reason that I give people nick, so I've, I've studied this. Why do people give people nicknames? There's two reasons that sociologists or psychologists, or whatever, says we as humans tend to give nicknames, and they're they're extreme opposites. One is it's a sign of endearment when we give someone a, a nickname. It's we love them, and we're you know it's it's an attachment. The other one is they are enemies, so we're putting on a trait to them like almost hatred. So it's it's strange how it's one or the other. Mine is all love for you guys. Those that raise your hands. Um, dun, dun, dun. <clears throat> but there's power in names. You know, let me tell you how I know this. There, we, we give nicknames to people because typically it's a, it's a term of endearment. It tells us something about someone. So like, for instance, I call a guy in here Gigantor. Now that sounds negative, but it's because he is a huge person. He is a big guy, right? Um, I won't say all my other nicknames for people, but it, it typically talks about some trait that they have. We identify them as. And names are really important, too. Think about how do I know? How long did it take you? Some people are like, it took me 10 minutes. But how long did it take you to come up with a name for your kid? You know, it's a big deal. Some people, it's like CIA stuff. Well, I'm not going to tell you. We're not going to reveal the name, you know, which I understand now because Norman and Allie stole my name for, um, anyway. <clears throat> so you don't tell people um, names because that, that's how important they are. You want that, that name means something. And it's kind of one of those things where I really like that name, but I know someone in high school with that name, right? And then you don't want that attribute on your kid, 
Like I knew a, I don't, I don't want to say a name. I can't give you examples because I'll be insulting. But that was brought up to me. Yeah, I like this name, but I know so-and-so. Right? And the trait becomes associated with the name, and the name becomes associated with the trait. Right? So, a little info for you. My name means fox. So I'll steal your chickens. I'm just kidding. Anyway, uh, it does. Right? It's, it, Todd is, is fox in Scottish. Funny story. When I first found that out, it was seventh grade. I was, her name was Miss Sherman. She's my seventh grade English teacher. I was in love with her. And uh, we were saying names, and I said, Todd means fox. We were, like, looking up names. And she goes, oh, it must be foxy. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and, uh, well, I'm telling you the story now. So, Miss Sherman. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know why I say what I say, but that's a real story. So, Names have power. And here's the thing. The way that God refers to himself has a lot of meaning. It's, it, I remember years ago, and there's been tons of studies. I'm not new to this, but because, you know, again, there's benefits in not growing up in the church, even though now I really shouldn't say that because I've been a Christian for a long time. But I haven't, a lot of this stuff has been new for me as I've processed through life, and, and the names of God are really fascinating. There's names we give him, but listen, if it's in the Bible, that means he accepts that name. Get what I'm saying? So there's names that we as humanity has given God, and there's names he's given himself. I am this. <laughs> right. So we're going to study that. We're going to study what God calls himself and what that means for us, because there is a reason why he says this. There is a reason why he tells us in his word, he's told people for thousands of years, I am this. I am the God of hope, right? It says in the New Testament. I am the God of this, all and on, all, on and on and on. So we're going to start with the idea of El. You know, in a crazy story, I love this. I'm going to talk about this the last one, so you better stick around if you came today. I love saying that because no one, someone inevitably is like, I will never come back. But you should, you should. The very last one of these. So there's a story, you guys know it. Moses is sitting there talking. God says to the burning bush, I'm going to send you back to your people to free them. And God's like, who? And Moses said, who should I say is sending me? And he says, I am or I am who I am. Well, Todd, that's mysterious. You know why he says I am? Because I'm everything. This concept, this word, this, uh, this whole phrase, but we're going to talk a lot about El. It's this Hebrew word, E-L, El. Okay? Now, something I found interesting as I researched this is other pagan religions throughout history and the ancient times around the Israelites in the Middle East used this term too. But they had it different. So El meant God. That's why when we say this, it'll say El Rohim or El whatever. God, El Ohim, right? God. But it means something else. It is the God of gods. That word in and of itself is the God. So even these polytheistic cultures, when they refer to a God as El or this El is like, that is the God. Yeah, these are gods. But that's the God. So God references himself as he tells us his name. It always starts with, not always, almost always starts with El this. I am the God of what? We have a lot to learn about who's God's, who God's character is and how consistent it's been. I don't know, it doesn't matter how many long you've been a Christian, I can't tell you how many times I hear, oh, that was the God of the Old Testament and the New, and you separate his character. Here's the thing, he's the same God. He has been consistent. If you've been told he's not, you were lied to, and you believed it because it fit what you want to be true. Because it's easy for you to believe, well, he was different because the Bible contradicts itself, right? Because then you don't have to face the reality of if it is true. And if it is true, you're in trouble, right? It doesn't contradict itself. He's consistent in his character, consistent in who he is, and it's incredible to look at. So over the course of these next few weeks, and guys, I'm telling you, if you come into this with open eyes, you're going to go, whoa. Because we hear these things, but when you start, even, the, even the almighty God, that's how we translate it, right, or the Lord of Lords. When you see that he's the Lord of Lords, that is El, the God of gods, right? The almighty God. We're like, oh, we know what that means. Do you really? See, in that culture, that would have been a shocking. We lose some of that. We have a lot to learn. And I believe if we come into this the next few weeks, and you forgive me for the fact that I'm not a Hebrew expert, so when I pronounce these things, that'll be fun for you. But it's very, very, very powerful. And there's freedom and there's peace. 
and there's um, some soberness to it, some seriousness to it. So that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. So today we're going to talk about one of the ways that very early on in the, in the Old Testament, God refers to himself. It's one of these times. We'll go through both. There'll be times he refers to himself and times it's called he accepts the name. But today we're going to talk about what he says he is himself. So the book of Deuteronomy chapter 7. Don't put it up yet. I know you. Quick finger. Right? I'm going to set this up. So this time it's one of the five books that Moses is attributed to Moses. So we all know Moses sets his people free, right? And as he's going on and these numbers and all that, it's kind of God in Deuteronomy essentially is explaining to his people what they need to do when they inherit the promised land. When you go there, this is how I expect you to live because you are going to be set apart from the rest of the world. You want this promised land. I'm going to give it to you, but I'm telling you right now, by the way, this is so us. This is how you need to live. And if you don't do what I tell you to do, there are going to be consequences. Mm. That's still true today. That's, what, that's setting this up. So here we go. Starting in verse 6. We're going to go 6 through 9. I'm reading through the HCSB. Whatever version you're looking at, I'm sure it's fine. For you are a holy people belonging to the Lord your God. See, Lord. The Lord your God has chosen you to be his own possession out of all the peoples on all the face of the earth. Wow. Go back. Now you got it too quick, man. For you are a holy people belong to the Lord your God. See, this isn't, you, this, God is consistent. His people have always been called this. For you are a holy people belonging to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be his own possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord was devoted to you. You can move on now was devoted to you and chose you, not because you were more numerous than all peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors. He brought you out with a strong hand and redeemed you from the place of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, pay attention, that the Lord your God, you ready, is God, the faithful God, who keeps his gracious covenant loyalty for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commands. This is a section you kind of read over because Deuteronomy is boring. I get it, right? I'll tell a lot of people. Not as boring as, as numbers, but it's, it's up there. But this is powerful. Well, let's, let's, let's think through what he's saying here. He's saying, hey, to the Israelites, well, how does that affect us? You'll see. Stay with me, folks. Right? You are a ho- they are a holy people belonging to who? The Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be his own possession. I chose you to be my people. And because you are my people, you are holy. Why? Because I'm holy. And if you want to be my people, you have to be holy. The Lord has had his heart set on you and chose you. <laughs> had his heart set on you. Do you guys believe that? Do you believe God chose you? Did you know that God loves you so much that he picked you to come today? You think you just woke up and this was the day you came? No. He had a purpose for you being here today. No, I'm mad at you for saying that. Who said, why would you even think that? I love talking to the voice in your head, right? Who's really making you feel that? Who's making you mad at me right now? Somebody that doesn't want you to hear the truth. The Lord had his heart set on you and chose you, not because you were more numerous than all peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. I chose you because, right, my heart is set on you, not because you're more numerous than all peoples. Now, for us, it's like not because you're a huge people. Back then, size of a, of a people group mattered, right? That, that, well, it's kind of the same. Size is importance. And he's saying, listen, you're not the biggest. But it goes more than that. You're not the most powerful. In fact, I chose a slave group. I didn't choose you because you were worthy. I didn't choose you because I owed you. I chose you. Why? Because my heart was set on you and chose you. Because I love you. So I didn't do it because of who you were. But why? But because the Lord loved you. And kept the oath he swore to your ancestors. And then he goes on to remind them, what did I do for you? Well, here's the oath. I brought you out from slavery. I brought you from the the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know and remember that the Lord your God is God. Who? He is the faithful God. Faithful is a word that's overused in Christianity, just like love. You hear it so much, it stops having any meaning. Yeah, I know, love. God loves me. Uh-huh, okay, whatever. You don't really think about what that would mean. 
Because it doesn't even mean to you the same as it means when you look at your girlfriend and go, me love you. Right? Don't act like you don't talk in a baby talk, man. I know you. The Lord your God, the faithful God. So that phrase, the faithful God, when it's translated here, right? Now, here's the Hebrew. It's going to be disastrous, but understand. What that actually is is El Hanaman. El Hanaman. Yeah, there you go. El Hanani. <laughs> El Hanaman. Yeah, there we go. El Hanaman. That's what it is. El Hanaman. Okay. The God of faithfulness. That's a title. We miss that here, right? It sounds like he's just given an adjective. That's actually a title. He is calling himself the faithful God, the God of faithfulness. Which God? The supreme God, remember L, of faithfulness. So what, is it, what do we get from this little section? Pay attention, long-term Christians. I know you know about faith, and yet you're sad all the time, and you're depressed, and you're anxious, and your faith is dead, and it's nothing. Why? Because you've stopped listening. Because you think you know everything. I love when someone in the crowd pays attention again. They're like, he's clapping. I've got to listen. I've watched people's faces go. <laughs> yeah, you stutzman. Anyway. <laughs> he is faithful because of his. I've known him for 26 years. I'm allowed to say that. That's, that. that's the way it works, right? That's what you tell me. Anyway. What do we know about? What is it? What is the God of faithfulness about? Well, let's think about this. He says here. He is faithful, guys. I'm going to make it very simple. He is faithful because of his faithfulness to the covenant, not because of their worthiness. I'm going to say that again. God told the, the, his people, he said, I am faithful to you not because you are worthy, but because I keep my word. I'm not faithful to you because you are worthy, but because I keep my word. A covenant's more than a promise. A covenant, and we've talked about, we had a whole series on this. A covenant, especially in Middle Eastern times, we don't use it a lot now. Okay, In marriage, you'll hear it a little bit. A covenant is, a, is for lack of a better word, is an agreement, is a promise between two individuals, two people groups, someone in which the faithfulness of one party is not dependent on the faithfulness of the other. Meaning, when I make a covenant with someone, and that's why it's very serious, I'm going to keep my word even if you don't. He is faithful because of his faithfulness to the covenant, not because of their worthiness. He is faithful, listen, because it's his character to be faithful. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. That's what he's saying here. Man, I wish I remember that corny phrase Chris said. Your wood's wet, so you're not getting on fire. I don't remember, something like that. All right, if that doesn't speak to you, let me come up with a Todd version. Man, if that doesn't get you fired up, you are... Asleep. It's not as nearly as catchy. He is faithful because it's his character to be faithful, not because of who we are, because of who he is. He said that in the Old Testament. As soon as he went to the Israelites and called them out, he said it then. Does that sound who does that sound like? It sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Why? Because it is. God has been faithful from the beginning. Why? Because it's his character to be so. He is faithful to his promises. God doesn't give a promise and break it ever. He understands that my, when he gives a promise, he realizes what it says about his character. He doesn't. It is not in his nature. He can't do it. We'll see that later. He can't break a promise. Now, you long-term Christians, you're going, yeah, I know that, Todd. He, hoo, ha, he, ha. But that's why you struggle because you don't actually know it. You don't accept what that would mean. That's why some of you in the room that aren't Christians struggle with it because you don't understand the concept of what you're told Christianity is, is you got to keep being worthy, right? you got to straighten your act up. you got to be worthy of his good graces. And if you are, he'll stick with you. But when you mess up, you're out. And you're probably honest enough, unlike those stinking Christians, to say to yourself, I can't be perfect. I get it. That's not the gospel. We'll get to that. Let me tell you the secret of Jesus. The secret is the recognition and the admission that you will never be good enough on your own. That you need help. He is faithful to his promises. He said it in Deuteronomy, in the boring book. <laughs> he said it from the beginning. I will be your God and you will be my people. You know what that tells me? Say he's the same God. He said that is his name. He said it back then. 
he is faithful. What does that mean? That means he's also, remember he says, I am faithful. He keeps his gracious covenant loyalty. I keep the loyalty of the covenant for a thousand generations. Is it literally a thousand? Don't count it out. He's just saying an impossible number for you. I will always be faithful, which means this. He is faithful. This is how it applies to us, to the gospel promise, to the gospel covenant. Okay, so Todd, what is that? Stay with me. I got a point here. David, you with me? Do I need to do something crazy? You think people are with me? Is this one of those moments they're listening or are they just like, what do you think? Huh? Crazy? Okay. Do something crazy? Oh, man, you shouldn't have said that. Throw the puck. <laughs> Romans 10, and I say this every week. You're going to actually hear it starting at verse 8 and going through 10. Romans chapter 10, 8 through 10. All right, I'm going to start. You guys catch up. Romans chapter 10, 8 through 10. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the church in Rome. And essentially, in the book of Romans, you're going to find the entire gospel. He's going to explain what it is. But he kind of encapsulates it here. How do I have this? How do I enter this covenant with God? How do I become God's people and he becomes mine? What does it mean to be to accept Christ? Here it is. This is the message of faith we proclaim, starting at verse 8, the end of it. This is the message. If you can go back. Did you, did you have? There we go. <laughs> this is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. Now the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. That's it. That's the gospel. Well, Todd, what do you mean? If you confess your mouth, why do I have to say it? The very fact that you're asking that question is why you got to say it. It's got to stop being about you. Christianity is very simple. Do you believe that God is who he said he is? Are you willing to accept that I'm not good enough and put your faith in Christ? What does it mean? Let's think. Confess with your heart Jesus is Lord. Believe he is God. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Why is that important? Because you're believing him. You're believing in him. You're putting your faith in him. Does that mean there's not moments of doubt? Of course not. We're going to talk about that. That's not the point. Are you willing to even get on the ground and say, God, I'm not perfect. I've messed up. I've sinned. That's what sin is. Right? Sin is disobeying God. It is my way over his way. And listen, if you do it in one small way, if you say, I'll do everything that you say, God, but that, you're disobeying You're an enemy of God. That's it. So he is faithful to this promise that everyone who believes on him will never, I love that. He doesn't just say won't die, will never be put to shame. You'll never have to live in shame, condemnation, fear. So what is it, I'm building a case here, Tim. You'll like what I'm doing here, I'm building a case. So what does God's faith we said what the gospel covenant is, right? You believe, and then he, right? Scripture says in other places, it attributes it to us as righteousness, means we become holy. We become that. We become his people. 2 Timothy 2.13. 2 Timothy 2.13. It'll be on the screen. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, faithful for he cannot deny himself. <laughs> That's so good. God is so faithful to the covenant, so faithful to the promise that when you confess to your lips and believe in your heart, when you, when you put your faith in him, that even the moments of doubt, even when we, we struggle, even when we fail, even when we don't keep our end of the bargain, even when we don't follow him, even when we don't live in a way that shows we're his people, he is still faithful. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. That's deep on a lot of levels. He can't deny who he is. He is the God of faithfulness. He can't be anything that he's not. A dog's not going to be a cat. Why? Because it's a dog. God will never be unfaithful because he is the faithful God. He can't do it. But there's also something else here, right? That we are his heirs, his children, and he will not be unfaithful to his family. That's so simple. Those that say that, well, you can lose it. That when you put your faith in him, that it's dependent on you and you can, you can backslide into hell. Well, what do you do with that verse? If we are faithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. 
That is the God, right? The faithful God. Okay, let's keep going. What else does faithful look like? So, well, I better explain. So, listen, at the end of the day, God said that we will have life in him, right? That we'll never be put to shame. I love that. He already puts it. In other places, right, resulting in salvation, we know we're going to get salvation. What does that mean? Safe from hell, safe from punishment, safe from the wrath of God. But also, what else do we get? We will never be put to shame. That's a powerful word. You will never be put to shame. Well, Todd, I feel shame sometimes. The story's not over. Faithfulness is not just the fact that he's going to hold you above the fires of hell, right? Sometimes that's all we think it is. Well, I, should, I do that. Listen, if that's all he did, it'd be good enough, wouldn't it? If all it was was life sucks, but you're not going to go to hell, it would, it would still be worth it, right? But the God of faithfulness promises more than that. He promises you'll never be put to shame. Well, Todd, what about the times I'm mocked? The story's not over. The times that I don't feel good enough, the story's not over. The, the times that I'm condemned, the story's not over. The times that people around me turn on me, the story's not over. You will never be put to shame because he has told us the end, and he will be faithful to that. At the end, he says, what? I will wipe away every tear for there will be no more crying or pain or death anymore. Behold, the old is gone. The new has come. That's a real promise. He will be faithful to that promise too, right? There's no mention of the fact that he's, he's not saying, hey, remember I saved you from hell. He's reminding you that it's deeper than that, that I'm going to fix this. Not just in the future though, right? That we can have what? Peace, patience, love, joy, faithfulness, all those things now. Don't be afraid to hold him to his promise. Okay, so let's go on. Todd, you said it's not just about hell. Romans 8, 28. Great verse that a bunch of us in this room make excuses for God for. I'm telling you you do it. I guarantee you do. Because you love him so much, you're like, I don't want him to let me down. Romans 8, 28. You got it? We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. All right, you can hear some of you. Well, bad things happened to me yesterday. He's still working it all together. He's still working it out. If you had told Todd at age 20 that what I was going through would have led me here, I would have called you a liar, been mad at you, and said you were a jerk. Because I can't, I'm, I'm serious. I could not, and I'm not even going to lie to you now and say if there wasn't, if God came and said, hey, would you like a different way to get where you're at? I'd be like, yes, Lord, please. But if someone came, and I mean this, I mean this, this isn't pastor talk because I'm not very good at it. If, if, if I had the choice of, Todd, you can avoid all of that pain that you were in, that mess of your life. You can avoid it, but you won't be where you're at, and you will miss out on the things you have, right? You got, you, you can, you can, I'll take away the sour, but you're going to miss the sweet. If someone, if God offered me that, I would say no. Even though in that time, I'm going to be real, I had suicidal thoughts. It was the most miserable time of my life. But the story wasn't over. And God worked out all things for, for my good. He did. I thought if I had just, if that girl would just take me back, even though she did all these evil things, then I would be great. Because if I had her, life would be content. It would fix all my other hurts. It would fix my loneliness and fix the pain I have from, you know, certain family situations. And it would fix the fact that I felt like a failure. And, it, you know, it would fix my embarrassment because I wasn't Todd the football player anymore. And I wasn't doing all these other things, right? I, I had a, an expectation of I was going to be successful. And at the time, I was nothing. When I tell you that I was literally homeless for a period of time, that's not a lie. I get it. That's why I talk to you guys, because if someone had told me in that moment, hey, man, everything you're going through is going to work out good, I'm like, yeah, whatever. Except, you want to know the truth? I had this verse with me all the time. I wrote it on a piece of paper. Because I needed to be reminded that he wasn't done with the story because he was faithful to me even though a lot of my mess came because I wasn't faithful to him. Faithful means this, guys. Right now, a lot of you are in a situation. I can't tell how many. A lot of our misery and our faith is because we feel trapped. And sometimes it's huge stuff, right? Sometimes it's legal stuff. Sometimes it's... Uh, you know, I, people are going through a divorce or went through a divorce. Sometimes it's, it, it could be whatever, financial situations. And I'm not going to sit here and sugarcoat it and tell you you're going to get a check for a million dollars tomorrow. I get it. But you sit here and go, right, I don't know how many people I could ask right now. I'll do it. This is one of the times. Where, how many people have had the thought or the feeling uh, at times of like, what's the point? Right? It's so far gone. I'll raise my hand. Yeah. What's the point? That right there is what I'm talking about. 
we forget that here's the thing about God. He is so faithful that that means we always have a chance for a new start. I'm serious. You always have a chance for a new start. Why? Because he's already said, hey, your place with me is good. If that's true, then, there is, then, then all the rest of it's true, right? He is faithful to give me the, the Holy Spirit. That means if I have the Holy Spirit, I have the ability to change, repent, turn my life away, that I can, I can make different choices now. It doesn't matter if the world says, hey, guess what? I'm done with you. The world's told me that. There was a t- the world has told me I'm done with you, Todd. And not only that, you'll never preach again. They told me that. That's not me. That's him. He is faithful even when we're not. He is faithful even when we feel stuck. He is faithful when it feels like there's no hope for a new change. But here's the thing. He's the God of hope. We'll talk about that, which means what? That means he's faithful to that promise that he will get. There is hope for better. And if he's working out, remember what I said, if he's working out all things for the good of those who believe, then we have the ability to see good again. Do you get what I mean? In whatever area of your life. My marriage is so broken. Guess what? It's not over. You can have a new start. Today can be the the day that you change, the day that your relationship takes a different course. You can't control your spouse, but you can control you. Now you can understand the verse that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not about, I can change everyone through Christ who strengthens me. No, but you can. I'm always angry. I'm always a screw-up. I'm always anxious. I'm always acting out of this. I have mental problems. I have emotional problems. I have spiritual problems. I have financial problems. I have marital problems. It's over. This is just who I am. You start to take an identity from a situation instead of recognizing that right, the faithful God has already told you, I'm not done with you yet. I could have put it on here. He makes another promise. He says, he will finish the good work he started in you. It's not over. You know, some of you young people, I don't talk about this. You're like, man, I disconnected. I'm not married. I remember what it was like in high school. You get made fun of. You're picked on. You have no friends. You feel lonely. You know, your parents are going through some stuff, and you hear them fighting at night. It could be all of these other things, and you get to this point where you're like, there's no point, God. This is all fake, right? My parents fake it. They come to church one way, and they go home, and they're another way. That doesn't mean God's not faithful. It just means your parents might not be in that moment. But it doesn't mean they're not Christians either. It means they're on the same journey you are. It means that you're, you know, that, that, that's at home, at school, that you're made fun of, that you're mocked. Listen, God's not done. And they did the same to Jesus. They did the same thing to him. They mocked him. His best friends turned on him. But the story wasn't over. Some of you young people, you know, it's, it's so easy to blame, to, to, to watch TikTok, and, and I joke about it, but serious, or Instagram or Facebook, and it's telling you that you are your struggle. I am the depressed girl. I am the confused man. I am the confused boy. I am the dumb boy. I am the, you know, what other, whatever psychological test you took online that you now say is who you are. You know what that is? That's accepting that what? There's no hope except what the world tells you are. Your best hope is just to accept I'm broken and messed up and that's all I'll ever be. Is that what God says? That doesn't mean your struggles aren't real. It doesn't mean your depression or lost or loneliness or, and, or even mental and emotional issues, right? That's all true. But listen, your medicine won't fix you by itself. That goes for adults and kids. Todd, don't you say that. Some people say it all the time to me. I believe medication's real. I even believe mood and emotional, all that stuff's real. But it doesn't fix it all. If it did, why don't we just start having the, the cult of Prozac? I'm serious. And I'm not shaming people that take it. What I'm saying is it's me, but it's not the Savior. Your identity, kids and young people, is not wrapped up in what your classmates tell you. It's not wrapped up in how good you are at a sport. Man, I got sucked into that too. It's not even how good you are at school. Some of you in this room, you get, you get an A- and you're flipping out. You know why that is? Because you take your identity. There's a difference between wanting an A plus because you want your best, and you literally feel like you want to jump off a bridge because you get an A minus. That's a clue that you're putting your identity in something external. What does that mean? Outward. God says, hey, I got you. Keep being faithful to me. And even when you fall short and you mess up, I'll stay faithful to you, and I promise I'm going to work all this out for your good. Here's the issue, though, according to his purposes. Remember my story? I thought the best thing that could happen to me 
I should give her a fake name, Arlene, is that if I got back with Arlene, my life would be better. Because if I got back with Arlene, then I would have a place to live and have a job and I'd be back in college and I'd play football. And then she became my goddess. If Arlene would just, <laughs> so funny, if Arlene would just, just love me and accept me, and it's okay that she said all these bad things and lied about me and did all this, it's okay because if she'll just take me back, then that means I'm good enough again. That's what I thought. God had a different plan. Faithful means there's always a chance for a new start and a new beginning. But you got to hold on to his promises of who he is because a lot of times it's confusing about who we are. You get what I mean? Like I can have a, in one day I can be like, man, I'm pretty cool. And the next minute, literally 10 hours later, I'm a monster, right? You ever think that? I'm a piece of garbage. I deserve nothing. The next day I'm like, hey, God loves me. Amen. God knows that. That's why we need to know his promises, know his character, know who he is, and hold on to that. You have the ability to choose something that goes against your emotion. Did you know that? Some of y'all slaves to emotion and then want to go, that's just who I am. I'm just a nasty, mean person. That's not true. Because I don't get to walk around and punch people in the face. Well, that, doesn't, that hurts people. Your words hurt people too. Whoever told you they didn't is a lie is a lie. <laughs> Lied to you. They are a lie, a living embodiment of lie. Anyway, you always have a chance for a new beginning because God is faithful. He's going to hold on to you. Okay, keep moving on. But, and here's the scary part before I go on. I want to make this clear because some of you in this room that don't know God, you're like, that sounds awesome. He's going to be faithful to me. I just got to say, hey, God, I believe in you. Nah. A lot of people say they believe. Your life has to show that you've put that faith in him. It's kind of like saying, listen, I, I trust this ground and this floor down here, this step. I trust it. But when it's time for me to leave, I go over here, I hop on top of the speaker, and then I jump down. I, we won't know if I really trust it until I take that step. Oh, okay. Right? Some of y'all trust a parachute more than you trust God. By the way, you're crazy. I'll never do that. Somebody else packed that thing. What if they just had a bad day? Right? But isn't that the truth? That's what, but that's, that's the thing, man. That is what real faith is. Does that mean you're going to do it perfect? I might walk kind of funny, right? But at the end of the day, I'm still trusting that the floor is going to be there. Sometimes you get caught up in the fact that, well, my faith is shown in that I perfectly walk. Right? So I want to say this because it's scary. God is faithful to those that have put their trust in him, who accept reality. So there's a verse right after Deuteronomy 7, 9, and it's seven ten. Go ahead. But he directly pays back and destroys those who hate him. He will not hesitate to, to, to directly pay back the one who hates him. Pay back. That's interesting. The implication there is that you deserve it. You deserve it. See, God, everybody's like, how could a good God send someone to hell? He doesn't. You mean how could a good God allow you to choose to go to hell? To choose to reject him? To choose your way over him? To choose to jump in the fire? To stick your finger in the light socket? To shoot yourself even though he tells you not to? Whatever you want to say to take the drug. At the end of the day, he directly pays back and destroys those who hate him. Well, I don't hate him. I just don't believe in him. You, you hate him. He will not hesitate to directly pay back the one who hates him. That's hell, folks. It's not that he's a spiteful God. He is vengeful in a way. He's not spiteful. What he's doing is giving you what you deserve. And you know it deep down. You know you're not a good person on your own. That's pretty hopeless. And it's, you know, I've said this many times, C.S. Lewis says it. I mean, it all boils down to, we say to, to God, thy will be done. Or he says, okay, thy will be done. You can have what you want. But you have to deal with the consequences of that. Second Timothy, right, before 2.13. Second Timothy 2.12. And at first this sounds like, listen to this. It's, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Well, Todd, I thought you just said he's faithful when we're faithless. Deny is not you're reading into it. Deny is, I, I deny that you are who you say you are. Faithfulness is like, 
hey, I might not be faithful in following you, right? I might at times go off the path, but I believe in you. A denier is like, I'm not going anywhere with you. You're not real. Walks away. Then I will deny you. Period. Well, I don't believe that. Okay. Who cares? You're not God. Reality's reality. And sometimes, man, there's people in here like, to the other side, like you think you are not up here preaching with me and Jesus against the crowd. I'm preaching to myself every time. You understand that? You are this person. You better be very thankful for the cross. Some of y'all are gonna slide into heaven with as it through flame, as scripture says. You just made it because he wouldn't let go of you. Why? And you're gonna watch people get crowns. The crazy thing is God doesn't punish us for what we deserve when we put our faith in, but he does reward us for our good. Isn't that wild? Did you know that? That there's different rewards? We all get to be his people, but he, our actions matter. And some of y'all have just clung to the fact, yo, I'm good. He's talking to all them ones that ain't me. No, I'm talking to you too. You're very lucky he's faithful, even when you're not. Because sometimes your life is lived in such a way that it's hard to know whether you're denying him or just faithless. And that should be sobering for you. If you no longer have conviction, the rest of you that don't know that, that's okay. If you no longer even feel anything, if you no longer have the pull of the Holy Spirit, a desire to change that, that, that behavior, that thing you're doing that you hide in the dark, what does that say about you? Are you just faithless or did you never know him? I knew of him. I saw Jesus walk by the window. Hey, I'm with that guy. And you go right back to what you were doing. What does he always say? Follow me. Not imperfect. You don't have to be perfect, but you got to follow. Now, I, I need to say that because it's important, right? In order to have the benefits of that covenant, that promise, we have to enter into it. Right? We put our faith in him. He'll never leave us. So what do we do with that? What do we do with the idea that God has told us he's faithful? He is the God of faithfulness. The faithful God. Does that not encourage any of you yet? David, do you think people are listening or zoned out? 50-50. David doesn't believe in you guys. I'm with you, bro. I don't either. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Are you listening or thinking? I'm sl- Did I say listening or thinking? I gave you a positive. Are you zoned out or are you, are you thinking? There we go. If you say zoned out, I'm going to be like, what are you doing here then? Get out of here. Anyway, Listen. We're gonna, we're gonna, I'm giving you a list because it's important for you to think about when God has said to you that he is faithful. Here's what you can take, we can take from that. Number one, this is so important. Guys, I, could, I had to pull back because there's so many verses I could give you for the promises. There is no too far gone. Well, that's tiny. Is that tiny? Oh, it's good for you guys. Okay, it's just tiny for me. There is no too far gone. He will never leave us in Christ. Meaning when we're in Christ, the wording's a little different. When we've put our faith in, he will never leave us. We have never gone too far that there can't be a new beginning, that we can't turn around, that he can't use us still, that we can't uh, be productive for the kingdom, that we can't see good. How do I know? Look at Peter. It's a great, a great example. Over and over and over. As Peter followed him, the man, he said, you will be the rock of my church. How many times did he go off the path? But he trusted Jesus is who he said he was. And so Jesus was to him who he said he was, which is what? I am the God who is faithful. We live in this faith, this weird religion in which we've got to pretend we got it together because we don't want anyone to think we've, we've gone too far. Because then they'll kick us out, and if they kick me out, then that must mean God kicks me out. That's not how it works. Right? If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. The parable of the lost sheep. Who, when he loses one of his sheep, won't leave the 99 to go find the lost one, right? The prodigal son. A father runs to the son that returns home. He doesn't stop being a son because he went out and did stupid stuff. If you're in the room today, you're like, man, when I was a kid, I put my faith in him, I believe, but I've walked away and it's too, it's too late. And it's never too late. You're still breathing. You've put your faith in him. He will be faithful. He's here now. You're here for that reason. Number two, this is an important one. His love is always steady. Man, before we go on, wouldn't that be nice if you believed that? Because you don't all the time. I feel like it's like this, right? Because we go by our emotions. His love is always steady and is as strong today as the day it was you came to know him. 
I'll never forget that, right? I said I picked on Jack for a negative thing. He can attest to this. Jack asked me, right, I accept Christ. He said, how are you feeling? You remember this? You probably don't. And I said, light. I feel lighter. That's all I knew. I knew that something inside of me, I didn't know anything else except this Jesus guy was, I, I accepted him. I prayed a prayer. Well, that's, was that magic? I don't know, but it worked. And when I came out, I was lighter. I felt loved. I didn't worry about what I was going to do wrong. I didn't worry about sin. I didn't worry about, all I knew was, was like I was lost and now I was found. I knew it, and yet when I look back, how, how come I envy that guy? He couldn't have preached this sermon, but I envy him. Because he believed that God loved him. He saw it. He felt it. And over time, life and religion and hurts make you kind of forget that. But you need to remember that he is still as faithful to you today. You're not like, yeah, I pick you. And then we get this sense, he's like, I'm so proud of you. And then like you mess up, and he's like, oh, man, I just had so much hope for you. You know, and you just messed it up. I'm going to move on to the next kid. Who's the, who's the good one? That's not how it works. He loves you as much today as the day you came to know him. It's been steady. He delights in you. He's proud of you. He sees the steps you've made. He's not ashamed of you. How do I know? Do you not remember? You will not be put to shame. Number three, and this is, goes a little bit with number one, but I want to say it very specifically. You can't out his grace. You can't outsin his promise. That messes with some of your heads because you were, you were raised in this, I don't even think people do intentionally, this, this strange idea of Christianity in which, well, that doesn't make any sense because there's people, what about the people who say they know him and then walk away and do terrible things? That's not our job. Right? There's a such thing as church discipline. People act a certain way and they may not be able to be in the body for a while if they're refusing to repent. If they come back, then they're a prodigal son. If they don't and they reject God, then they were never saved to begin with. You can have the appearance of godliness but deny its power. Scripture says that. You guys are focused too much on religion. You can't out, that's, it's a bottom line. I'll fight anybody verbally. <laughs> right by telling you straight up, even though sometimes I want to, right, the person that says you, the remnant takes grace too far, it's so ignorant, I bring it up forever, because it's so ridiculous that I can literally pull the Bible and show you 75, I mean, it's just so ridiculous. Romans tells us that. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Right? It'll just keep... You can't outrun it. You can't outrun grace. Isn't that wild? That's beautiful. Even when I'm a prodigal and I'm sprinting as far away as I can, God, Jesus like, hey, what's up? Right? He's always ahead of me. It's the truth. We can't, get a, we can't outrun it. And the world doesn't want you to believe that. Let me tell you why. Sometimes it's not evil. It is evil, the heart behind it. But their motives aren't. They're saying, well, well if I make people believe that they're saved no matter what, then they're going to go out and have adultery and do drugs and kill each other and do all kinds of horrible things. That's because they're denying the power of the Holy Spirit in you. They believe that if they make enough rules, that'll keep you holy instead of trusting that what? That God will finish the good work he started in you. You know, when I talk to, my, to, the, to the church, and I've learned this over time, you know, when you talk to Christians, when you talk about sin, it's not because it's a salvation issue. It's, it's because it's a two things. It is a sanctification issue. It's that you're refusing to let God make you more holy, right, as he's doing. You're not working with him. But two, it's to protect you from the consequences of sin. God has warned us that bad things happen when we don't do what he tells us. Did you know that? Everything God tells us to do and not do is for our good. You think it makes sense to a kid, don't put the fork in the light socket. No, it doesn't make any sense. They're like, this looks fun. This has, put, has spines. There's holes. Why wouldn't I do that? You got your stupid parents, right? I can't tell. I mean, think about that. How many times when you're a kid, you're like, this makes no sense. This is stupid. And you, later on, you go, man, my parents were right about that. It's the same with God. But it's very, very important for you to know this because if this, I say it all the time because only I mean, this is the best analogy I've ever come with for myself. I want you to imagine a kid, I don't know how old, or yourself, when you were learning how to ride a bike. Okay? You got training wheels on for a while. That's what happens as we mature in our faith, right? For a while, we're, we, we, he just says, that's okay. And then eventually there comes a time when it's time to take that next step, and God says, okay, here's the deal. I'm, I got you on the bike, right? I'll tell you how I learned after this. It was not like this. But... Right, you, you know, your dad, I've seen this happen. I've seen some of you do this beautiful thing. And you put them on the bike. But imagine that your dad or your mom or whoever taught you looked at you and said, hey, here's the thing. When you ride, if you fall, I hate you 
and you are not my child anymore. You know what people would, it's funny, but it, it, it is, but isn't. You know what would happen? Would you ever take the training wheels off? I'll tell you exactly what I'd do. I'll just, I don't want to ride a bike anymore. That's a real deep analogy. Some people walk away from the church because of that very reason. Because you believe the fact that someone told you that when you wobble, and you know you're going to wobble, and you're going to fall, that he's done with you, and you're like, well, I'd rather just stay in the house. It's not the way it is. What happens is in our faith is the Father knows there's going to be times we stumble and wobble, right? And we might even fall over. And he is the good father. He makes the comparison. What good father, if his son asked for a piece of bread, is going to give him a rock? Nobody. And if you who are evil compared to me wouldn't do that, then why would I? When we fall, he comes over and picks us up and cleans our wound, tells us he loves us, reminds us we can do it, puts us back on the bike and helps us again over and over and over until what? We're riding that bike. Now, here's the thing. I don't know about you using the bike analogy. When I was riding a bike, how many of you ever did the old hit the brakes too hard, flip over the handlebars situation? I did, right? All right? Or the old, like I went one time, I used to think, you know, you think you're on a motorcycle, and I was riding in the rain to get my family candy bars. It's a long story. And I was riding the bike, and I came home, and I was like, I'm just going to slide in real cool, you know. And I did for about 0.2 seconds before I went. And to this day, you can ask me after, there's a scar on my pinky. For me crashing that bike. I knew how to ride a bike, but I made a mistake. My mom's still out there, so I'm still her son, right? God's the same way. You can't outsin his grace. And if, you, if someone ever tells you you can't, say, have you read the book of Romans? Number four. You can tell I'm passionate. I stay on that a long time. But this is true, too. And I've been thinking, I wanted to do a whole message on this, but I decided not to and just put throw it in here because it's true. You can't, I'm sorry, you can always have a new beginning. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get in a rut and I start to think it's impossible for me to change because every time I try, I keep failing. Right? So, man, for me, it's like lately, and I hesitate to tell you because you're humans and you're going to hold it against me. But it's sort of this... um, kind of grumpiness, but not, and everybody's going, yeah, that's true, but not like even, because I'm not really grumpy, but I, I don't do a good job of, of keeping, of not showing my anxiety. Like, I'll be in my head. You ever do that? You're in your head, and then someone's talking to you, and you're kind of sharp and cutting, and then later you're like, gosh darn it, why do I do that? Because you're not really mad at people, but you treat them that way. That's me lately, and I have to keep owning that over and over again, and like, I get sick of me, so I only imagine that, and the people around me get sick of me, and I can only imagine that eventually God's saying, you know, this is what I think. Hey, you said sorry 55 times. You don't mean it. That's not the way he is, though. What he does every time is the same thing the father did to the prodigal. He runs home, right? Okay, son, it's okay. Let's get back up on the bike. But, Dad, it's been 10 times. I know. It's been 50 times. I know. It's okay. You got this. He believes in me. I can have a new beginning. I can change. You can change. Some of you are so hard and mad because somebody told you you can't change. They told you it's not okay to crash the bike. And you've been living in a prison, right, of misery and shame and fear and doubt and all those things because somebody messed with you primarily in those last two. You can't have a new beginning. God's done with you. Why? Because you sinned too much. It's, it's been too far. So the cross was only kind of sufficient. It's all true or none of it is. You can always have a new beginning. Do you want something different? Now, listen, you can't always change the circumstances right away, right? Maybe it's, I don't know, uh, your marriage. You've, been a, you, you've, you've contributed to a terrible marriage. I'm not going to sit here and tell you you're going to walk out today and go like, Honey, we have a new beginning. And you guys are all cuddling and watching movies. That's not how it's going to necessarily be. But I promise you this, today can be the start of that. Today can be the start of that new beginning for you. Why? Because God is faithful. He's ready to help you back on the bike if you're willing to get up. Now, believe me, that's okay. What does the book say? What does his word say? He thought it was so important for us that thousands of years later, we're still talking about the fact that he said, I am the God of faithfulness. God is faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful in your loneliness. He's there. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. You know that? He's there in your trials. 
That means the hard things in life. How do I know? Jesus said there will be many trials and tribulations in this life, right? But take heart, for I've overcome the world. I'm with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. He said that. Last things he said. One of the last things. I will never leave you. What about when you left him? He won't leave you. You're here for a reason today. Maybe it's just to be encouraged. Maybe you're in an okay spot. Awesome. Remember this. The next time that trial comes, the next time the lie comes, that he is the God of faithfulness. Remember that Hebrew word that Todd butchered, okay? It's in there. God is faithful. What would it mean today for you? What would it mean today for you? I know I'm almost done. I'm going to let you out early. But I want you to really ask yourself this question. What would it mean for you today? When you walk, if no one else is here, it's just God and you, and you believed that he was faithful, faithful to every promise he makes in the Bible. If he was truly faithful, what would it mean for you? Would you get back up and get on the bike again? Some of you need to come outside and go get the old dirty bike, right? You got to get it off and get it ready to ride again, that, though, to follow him. Would you ask him to help you because you believe he would? Would you let all those years of hurt where people told you that you're messed up and too far gone? You're broken? Would you let go of the bitterness, the bitterness that comes from disappointment that you've had for years? Yeah, I believe in God, but, but not really in his faithfulness to me. You're kind of like I can be sometimes like, that's cool, you saved me from hell, that's enough. More than that. Would you let go of the anger? Would you let go of those tears you've been holding back because he cares? Would you quit running from him? Would you stop being ashamed of him? Would you say you're sorry to your wife or your husband? Would you make up with that family member you haven't talked to in 20 years? Would you apologize to your kid, maybe? Kids? Would you just maybe even take time today to say thank you? Thank you that you're faithful to me all the time when I'm not, right? Because it's scary. Sometimes, I don't know about you, I feel like I'm, I'm, I mean this. I remember this in that dark time. I literally saw myself holding onto a cliff by a pinky, right? And that cliff is my faith. That's me. I'm, I'm this close to letting go of that whole thing. It took years for me to realize he had my whole hand, right? He wasn't letting me go. Even if that pinky had fell off, he's going to be like, okay, I got you. Some of you have walked down a dark path because you gave up on his faithfulness to you, so you tried to make your own way. Your own way to what? Intimacy? Warm bodies or a computer screen? Distraction? Bottles filled with a liquid that only makes you feel good for a little while? Pills? Whatever it is that you've been running to, how's it working out for you? Funny thing about those things, man, we spend a lot of money on them. We do spend a lot of time. We're really faithful to them. But you ever notice they're not real faithful to us? That computer screen's not really there when you need it, is it? A lot of times those warm bottles, I mean, that warm bodies, bottles too, though, right? And those warm bodies are gone in the morning. Bottles are never there when you really need it. Put your faith in something that it's going to be faithful to you. There's going to be music playing today. Not you, know, you get to sit. They had a different plan, and I didn't do that. Did you do the other part? No, good. Yes, her? Okay, great. You can come up. She took a time off. It's confusing. There's going to be music playing. <laughs> He's panicked. Tim, first time I ever saw him. We, we are not ready for that. Anyway, <laughs> he was up here going, anyway. <clears throat> hey, listen. What would it mean if you believed that God was faithful? Sometimes I have to, like, slow down and go, like, get my thoughts to just focus on a moment. And that's why I always give you guys a hard time. Hey, I know. It's been a long time, blah, blah, blah. Right now, you got five minutes, maybe eight. Will you let God speak to you? What do you mean, let? He's God. This is how I view it. We're in a room, and we turn the TV up so loud. He's talking at a normal pace. I mean, a normal volume. And we just can't hear him. Now's your opportunity to turn the volume down. Hit mute on life and the noise and listen to what he's saying to you. Did you know he's speaking to you through this today? Even if my words are terrible, they probably are. His word is perfect and true. And if that's it, it's saying something to you today. 
Some of you need a new beginning. Here it is. Some of you need hope. Here it is. Some of you need to be reminded he loves you. Some of you need to confess sin. You need to say, God, I'm turning away from this. I'm, I'm done. I've fallen off the bike. Please help me back up. Some of you just need to sit and praise him for how faithful he's been to you. There's people up here ready to pray for you. Why is that? You know, sometimes I want to be, I've thought about changing that and be a normal church. They don't do that much anymore, right? One time I even tried to put the people in the back because I thought maybe that would make people feel more good. Nobody came weird. Probably I have a feeling the Holy Spirit's like, nah, man, you're going to do it this way. We're not doing it. They're here to pray with you. The Bible says that. The prayers of the righteous are powerful indeed. Confess your sins and you will be healed. All these things. This altar. You're in the Holy of Holies. The presence of God is here. Jesus is here where two or three are gathered in my name. Even if there's at least two or three in here. He's here. The gospel's pretty simple. We messed things up. He made it perfect. And he just said, hey, I made this for you. Will you just let me be God and tell you what right and wrong is? I'll tell you what to do. And if you do those things, oh, this whole beautiful thing is yours. And we're going to walk together and live together. And I'm going to give you, hey, man, I've got so many good things for you. And somewhere along the line, they and you doubt that. You turn away from it and you start following your own way. We all did humanity, and because of that, a disease entered this world called sin. It shows itself in our actions, but it's deep inside of us. Something is broken. You know, if I rip a branch off a tree, it looks green for a little while, but it eventually dies, right? Because it, that's us. We, we ripped ourselves off the tree of life, off of God, off our creator, what we were made to be in relationship with, and we wonder why we're dying physically and literally, but also spiritually. We're dead. We have no hope The Bible says that because of that, when we rejected him, we have to live based on our actions. That means the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has done something evil, something wrong, and it deserves justice. Just because you hid it from the world doesn't mean it's hidden from him. The Bible says that we are storing up wrath for ourselves. You heard it here. He directly pays back and destroys those who hate him. If we deny him, he will deny us. That's the situation, but here's the good news. When we couldn't save ourselves, when we couldn't out-religion ourselves, when we couldn't fix ourselves, when no amount of pills or alcohol or sex or bodies or, or wisdom or philosophy could fix us from the outside, we could even clean the outside up, or I can take Tylenol to lower my fever, but I haven't dealt with the issue. That's why most religions don't work. And they don't. All religions don't work. Religion doesn't work because you can't out-religion your sin either. When the standard is holiness, perfect holiness, man, we all fall short. We're in trouble. That's your situation. I could walk out right now, and that's where some of you are at. Hell is real. It is a separation from God. I'm a pretty good person, according to who? You? Of course you think that. But you're not. When it's perfection, me either. So if it makes you feel better, I'm a terrible person. You're probably better than me. I'm just not counting on myself. So Jesus Christ was God. God went finally when He tried to make us realize it's always been about faith. He says, I will come down and I will show them how to live. That's Christ. He was a real person. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, God Himself, invaded this earth, showed us how to live, told us the truth about His character again, showed us His character in action. What does faithfulness of God look like? What, what, what do my names mean in flesh? That's Jesus. He showed us how to live, and they needed something incredible. He said, I'll take your place. I'll take the cup of wrath that you have set for you. I'll graft you. I'll, I'll give you my spot on the tree. I'll rip myself off so you can take my place and be healthy and alive again. I will pay your penalty. I will take your sins. And not only that, I will give you the benefits of my perfection, my holiness, my relationship with the Father. That's what it says. He died on the cross. You have never truly been alone, even if you don't believe in God, because why? He's etched in your heart. Like, you can't get away from him until hell, right? The total absence of God, but Jesus did. The Father turned his back on the Son, so that you have the opportunity while he'll never turn his back on you. He was put to shame so you never have to. He said right in his word, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned away from me? 
He took it so you never have to experience it. So, so what do I do here, Todd? Well, I have it in front of me for the first time, so I can say it, right? Romans 10, 8 through 10. This is the message of faith where you proclaim. If you confess with your lip, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. Now the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. You can have that today. This can be your new beginning. Listen, I was you. Not all of you are saved. You, you, you're not. And you're coming up with all the reasons why I'm not good and I'm stupid and all this is bad and it doesn't make any sense. Who's telling you that? Who's really telling you that? So you're going to get that chance right now. If that's you, come up here and pray. I had to do it. I'm not even tricking you. I could do what they did to me. Raise your hand if you want this. And then I'm like, okay, we all got to go back behind that door. That's what they did to me. I'm telling you right now, don't leave. It's real. You can have security that God will always be faithful to you today, in a new beginning today. If you're in a place and you're already a believer, but life's gone off the rails, you've fallen off the bike, you can have a new beginning today. Let yourself rest in his faithfulness. Whatever you do, don't leave the same you came in, because if you do, you're choosing to.